0: Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska Podcast. I hope the Word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the Word. You know, the, the title of my message tonight, what I what I sensed, and I I, I hope that if, if I'm able to fulfill what the Lord has placed on my heart, that it would be more of an impartation than anything else of just something that the Lord is wanting to do, and I'm calling this tonight, Don't Tread on Me. You know, we, we um, are living in, in, in times where it might feel like it's something new as far as our lifetime is concerned, but if you look at history, there's things that are cycles that seem to be repeated. It's the same thing, it's just maybe different geographically. It might look a little bit different even in our own times and what we're living in. And one of the things behind that when you start looking and just kind of peel away everything that's really happening, that's lost in a lot of noise, is, is one of the things that the enemy is after is really after our worship. Much of the warfare has to do with this very thing. It's, it's, it's will we be more impressed with the enemy and what he seems to be able to do than Jesus and what he's already done in his beauty and his majesty which of the two are going to weigh out? And that's, that's kind of the battle that we're in. In fact, you find this thread throughout the book of Revelation. I believe that part of the book of Revelation is a manual on how to be a martyr. And one of the things has to do with worship. Who or what will you worship? The mark of the beast, more than anything, having to do with vaccine passports or whatever, it has to do with who are you worshiping? That's what marks you. You become like the thing that you worship. So you find these different scenes that are contrasted. You find Jesus is worthy, and you find these songs that come up, and people, the, 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 the 24 elders that fall before him, and they throw their crowns at his feet, and it's constantly this thing of that you are worthy. There's nobody like you. you. You are incredible. You are beautiful. You find even, like, repeated songs, like in Revelation 15 and verses 3 through 4. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great. And amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Because there's this battle, who's really in control? Who has ultimate authority? Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. But then you have a contrasting song that's actually meant to be somewhat mocking the song that's going to the Lamb. And it's a song that's sung to the beast, and so we find that in Revelation thirteen four, they, they worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, "Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it?" It's contrasting image of like, you think your God can do anything against this guy? What they stand for, what they believe in, it mimics this. It's kind of a, a, a it, it's it's making fun really of the worship that goes to God. And it mimics even the worship that happened like in Exodus, where there's a song that says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness. Who compares to you? Awesome and glorious deeds doing wonders. And so on, on the one hand, you have songs that speak to Jesus and how worthy he is and all that he has done and how he has true authority. He is the true king. Of the universe, and he's worthy of all honor and worship, and and riches and glory. And then you have the song of the beast that says, "Look at uh, look at the beast. Look what he can do. And who can come against him?" And it's kind of like this song. And I and I realize, you know, we aren't worshiping the beast by singing songs about him. Like we would not have a t-shirt that says, "You know, the beast is the best." You know, we're number one. Uh, But I, but but this is the thing. It's it's we can worship the beast without even knowing it. When we exalt the circumstances that we're going in or going through above God and what he has spoken and we're more intimidated, more in awe of what the enemy has done or can do or seems to be doing than what God has spoken. When, you, when you're impressed by something or someone more than God, you are in effect worshiping that thing or that person. When you're more worried about the bad news coming forth from the news channels, you are in effect worshiping the spirits that manip- manipulating all that's happening behind that. You're actually giving them attention and you're saying like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I should be intimidated by you. You're saying, uh, who is like COVID? Who can come against it? And when sickness or financial trouble comes our way, and we're more impressed by that to the point that we lose peace and faith and joy, you're saying, who is like this problem that I'm going through? Who can compare to this? Who can face this? What can we do against such an incredible situation that we're going through? Oh, it's it's too big. It's too strong. It's so dangerous. It looks so mean and menacing. What can God even do against such a foe like this? And it, and it comes kind of sometimes in this religious language, you know, for on the one hand, we sing nothing is impossible for you, but what we really mean is nothing is impossible for you in, in, in theory, like for, for other people and maybe around the world, but in my situation, you just don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how hard I've had it. In my situation, it's a little bit different. I'm the exception to the rule. Like, like God can do impossible things somewhere else and on the mission field, even. But you know, not 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 in my life. Because well, if you knew how big the problems were that I was facing, you would understand, right? And so we say, yeah, nothing's impossible for you. But in the inside of our minds, we're going, yeah, but not in my situation. My situation's outside of your reach somehow. It's like somehow God, yeah, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're kryptonite to God. Yeah, I mean, He can do anything anywhere else. But in your life, for some reason, there's just or your situation, it's like somehow God's hands are, are tied. And so, and so we find that even the people on the earth in Revelation, it says, look at this in, verse 17, in chapter 17, verse 8, the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, it says, well, we'll marvel at the beast because it was and is not and is to come. They, they marvel to see him. They are so impressed by what he can do, that they forget God. It kind of of reminds me of the well-known story of David and Goliath. Because it's it's interesting because, you know, Goliath's name actually means splendor. I believe it's kind of a dark splendor. And day after day, this giant comes out and he taunts the people of Israel. And, And it's not just directed to Israel, it's really speaking against the God of Israel. And, 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 and here you find Israel is, they're basically eating it up. They're not, they're not doing anything about it, right? They're, they're beginning to think, like, who, who can go up against this, this giant? I mean, the guy's a beast. What, what, what can we do against this guy? Uh, he, he comes out and is intimidating and mocking not only them, but the God of Israel. They're, they're more impressed with him than with God. It's like in one moment, they forget everything that God has done to bring him to the point to where they're at. And it's like completely wiped clean. There's a spiritual amnesia. They just forget it, and they're just like, oh, well, this is a new. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the Red Sea was one thing, but, but they didn't have giants like this one. I mean, this is a different situation. Same God, but it's a different, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, what, what, what about this? And, and, and they're silenced by his mockery. He just comes out day after day. They're more impressed with him than even with God. And if you look in 1 Samuel 17, and we'll just kind of camp here for a moment. When Saul, this is verse 11, and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. (laughs) The word in Hebrew for dismayed is hatat, whereas the word for praise is halal. There's a play on words that's happening here. Instead of praising and worshiping God and really reverencing him, they're giving their reverence to this enemy. And this is is how the enemy uh, operates. In fact, the, the author does something really interesting in 1 Samuel in this chapter. He mentions the word bronze like five times in just a matter of verses. When he begins to describe even the armor that Goliath has, he mentions bronze. And it's like he could have said like, he had bronze and just kind of mentioned the things that were made of bronze. But it's like he, he repeats this word a few times. Some, some translations just put it, just to simplify, they just put it one to, or a couple of times. But it's actually repeated in there a few times. And, 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 and you know, the, the thing is, this, this is really interesting because um, part of the root word of bronze in the Hebrew means scale, like of a reptile like of a snake. Now, just think about this for a moment. He who has ears, let him, let him hear. Because this is how, how Satan operates, right? I mean, you have the, the snake, and then you have the head that later comes off, and we're, we're going a little bit ahead of here, but just to, right? You kind of see the little parallels that are happening here, just kind of letting us know that this is how the enemy operates. Nicolas Machiavelli, who wrote The Prince, There's basically a manual trying to teach princes how to operate and exert influence, which is basically manipulation. They're all really fear tactics. But one of the things that he wrote is, he who controls the fear of the people is the master of their souls. He who controls the fear of the people... Is the master of their souls. And, and you find that that's exactly what Goliath is doing. He is controlling the fear of Israel. What they fear, there's a collective thing that's happening, and he is the master of their souls because they're more impressed with him than with God. In fact, it's not even in their thought, they can't even pray. I mean, in their imagination even, they can't even think to pray that God could do something because they're just like, he's too big. It's too big of a situation. It's too big of a problem. And he, he comes out in verse 9, this is First Samuel 17, verse 9, and he goes, uh, he, if he is able, he, he's asking someone, you know, you send somebody that represents Israel and Israel. I'll represent the Philistines. And, and so he says, if he's able to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And, and again, just... Little little tidbit here of the word for serve in Hebrew is abad, which is, it means worship as well. It's actually used that way in many times. When, when God gave Adam and Eve the job to take care and cultivate the garden, the word abad is there. It had to do with ministry, but it's also used uh, for the, the, the priests in the work that they did in the temple. You have the same word. You have this idea of ministering. It's used to minister to the Lord. It has the idea of worship. So you find here that this is what the enemy is really trying to do. I want you to be so impressed with me that you give me your worship. I'm after your awe. I want you to marvel at me. I want you to be so impressed with me that you can't even sleep at night. I want you to be so impressed with me that you, you can't think past where you're at at this moment. I want you to be so impressed with me that the idea of something changing is just so far outside your reach, you can't, you, you don't, you can't even see it. You, I want you to live in survival mode. I don't want you to think of victory. I just want you to think of almost just survival. If you're, if you're just barely making it, that's where I want you to live. And so more than even a contest of strength and a battle, it's really saying whose God is really the strongest God. And again, same battle that we're going through today, different country, different valley, same line that's being drawn. We have the giants that come forth day after day through media trying to intimidate. And it's it's not just the news, it's the spirit behind the news. And, And it's not the agenda of any political party, it's the spirits behind them that are in operation and trying to intimidate the church into silence. And this is what Israel and and Saul are hearing day after day. And and I was thinking about this. What was his plan? I mean, what is Saul, what is he hoping for? I mean, because day after day, this is happening, right? I mean, they're, they're having to feed all these soldiers. So there's a lot of money that's going into this. You're having to sustain them. And it's like, he's, he's, putting all this money into just basically staying there like, right, let's just show up again and let the enemy mock us and mock our God and then we'll just go back to doing what we're doing and and keep our head down. And I mean, I I don't know exactly what his plan, what what was he thinking that was gonna happen? Like, how is this going to end? What, what, you know, I I don't understand. I, I think that Saul really was the man that should have been there on the battlefield. But he was more impressed or trying to impress the people, fear their opinion more than God's that when the collective thought was, oh, there's no way we can do it. He's like, yeah, you're right. There's no way we can do it. So God had to raise somebody else that had never even been on a battlefield before, but finally, but actually knew God to actually come and confront the Goliath. But it's not only just the Goliath, it's the spirit that was behind the Goliath. And, and, and this, is, this is the tactic that the enemy uses. He tries to intimidate. He tries, because if he, if he can get you afraid, if he can get you scared, well, then, he, then he's got you. Now fear becomes the operating spirit in your life and not the Holy Spirit. Now your giving is in, in based on the spirit of fear. You're asking your fear, hey, is it okay for me to give this or not? I, I don't know. Will I be able to make it? I, I don't know. Now the decisions that you make are all based and controlled by fear and not the Holy Spirit. And the way that you respond and the way that you react is all in basis to this, in relation to the spirit of fear and not the Holy Spirit. I, I, look, if, if we're gonna actually fulfill all that God has spoken to us, there comes a moment where we've just gotta decide, hey, I don't care what you're gonna do. Bring, bring your worst. Do, do, what, do what you're gonna do. You will not tread on me. It just isn't going to happen. So blab all you want to blab. Do all you want to do. Mess all the stuff that you try to mess. It's, it's fine. I'm going to come out on the other side sharper, stronger, more powerful. Because I, I, I know, I know who my God is. And I'm going to make it to the other side. And, and, and this is, this is you, you're not going to stop me. You're, you're not going to intimidate me. I, I, this is the cool thing even about David because he, he comes and he, this is the thing is the victories that he's had in the past with the lion and with the bear, they're scalable, right? It's the same principle. The lion and the bear is maybe nothing compared to this giant, but the same principles hold true because God operates in certain ways. He has his character, and he has his word that he's given, and so so you can trust that. And so even 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 as you look past on, on your life, and you go, well, God has provided for me in the past in this situation. This bill might be bigger, but it's the same God, uh, you know. I don't think it's gonna bankrupt heaven if it's just a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like, like, like the same situation that you faced in the past and his power was displayed in your life. It's not like all of a sudden now God's having to plug in some generator in heaven because the problem that you're facing, like, man, I, I didn't anticipate this. I don't know what we're gonna do because yeah, you're right, man, that problem is so big. I don't know what to do with it. See, this is the thing. At the end of the day, the enemy ends up being a pawn in the hands of the Father. You become stronger than you ever were before. And you can thank him because he played a part in it. It's because of him that you learned how, tenacity, you learned how to persevere. It's because of him that your faith became stronger. Where before you could move some mountains, but, but now, now, hey, mountain ranges are nothing for, compared to what's in you. It's where now you become so much stronger on the inside than you ever were before. And you need that resistance at times. To be able to do that. I grew up in uh, the Canary Islands, Spain, and I, there was a moment where I wanted to learn martial arts. I'd watched Karate Kid, the first movie. You know, many, many times I had it memorized. And I'd done all the wax on, wax off for hours, literally. I was like a super expert. And my, my father was uh, friends with the Korean pastor, and he had a deacon on his board that had a gymnasium the, with Taekwondo and Hapkido, and the name was Hallelujah. That's, you know, and instead of meditating, we prayed, right? And I saw a grown man pray like, our oh, Father, who art in heaven? You know, just crying because the guy was super intimidating. And so uh, I had a friend that he was like second degree black belt, whatever. And, and uh, you know, he went with me because I'm the pastor's kid and just kind of looking out for me. And so I show up, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm wanting to learn all the secret arts of martial art, Like, I want the nerves that you hit and then they're paralyzed, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, backflips and stuff like that. You know, this is, this is what I want. And I, I've read tons of books. And like I said, I watch Karate Kid a lot of times. So I, I go my first day there, and the guy's just kind of, I, I can tell. I mean, they're speaking Korean, but I can tell. He's just kind of like, oh, okay, all right, we'll just take this guy on. I'm doing a favor to the pastor and all that kind of thing. And, and so he asked me, and he says, I want you to throw a punch just to see kind of what I'm working with, right? And it's one of those moments where in the gym, everybody got quiet, and they're all looking at me. You know, and I'm just kind of like, what, like, right, right now? You know, you want me to do this now? Are you, okay. And again, all my training kicked in. <laughs> and I did this punch, and I think I made him cry because he's just like, this is horrible. This is not. <laughs> he was talking to my friend in Korean. He's like, oh, uh, no, this isn't going to work. So I went in thinking I had all this knowledge. I thought I had all this stuff in my head because I've read books. I read books on how to be a ninja, so, you know, watch out. In fact, I, I worked a summer, and I, I bought ninja stars. And I got a bandage, and I, I attached them underneath my shirt so that in case of an emergency, I could just reach under, and I could throw the star out, and I'd be like, what's up? What's up? Don't tread on me. I got ninja stars. It was a great plan until I did a layup playing basketball and they all fell to this floor, you know? And everybody's looking at me like, what is going on here? You know, I'm trying to hide it. Like, There's nothing to see. So one of the first things that my teacher did, because I think he realized my vast knowledge that I had, and uh, he wanted me to really understand where I was at, right? Because in my mind, I'm like, be careful. You know what I mean? Registered weapons, you know? And so he talks to this guy in Korean, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, whatever, uh, you know, let's do this. And I start sparring. Well, before I know it, I'm just like literally a rag doll. I'm just like flipped all over the place. I'm landing on just everything, you know what I mean? I'm just like, I'm bruised. I'm like, come on, give me, you know, you, just, just wait a second, give me, give me a moment. You know, you, you went too fast. I wasn't ready. <laughs> But uh, it, just didn't, it just didn't happen. It just, you know, it was, it was a mess. It was a real disaster. But um, I was just trying to understand. I, I realized something very quickly. You can have all the head knowledge that you want, but until your faith is tested, it really isn't faith. You need to have a little resistance. You, you need that. It's not, it's not, it's not optional here, because God isn't about theories and little pretty things, and let's just theorize about things, and unicorns that fly over rainbows and all this kind of, how pretty and whatever. It's like, when you're going through it, what is it that you really believe? And you can tell me anything you want. I mean, yeah, okay, you believe this, you're a great man, of, great, great man of faith, woman of faith, great, great, great. But when you're in trouble, that's where I really know what you're made of. That's what, you know, in the parable of the sowers, right? One of the ones that doesn't, they receive it with joy, the word, and then it, it doesn't take root because of the affliction and persecution because of the word. The word brought it on. They get offended with God. And the very harvest that God is wanting to plant in their lives and the very one that they need never takes root because like, well, I, nothing's turning out the way I thought it was gonna turn out. I mean, how many times, even in a prophetic word, you receive something, you walk out the doors, you're like, man, I'm ready, all right. And everything opposite to the very thing you received began to happen, to the point where you're like, I think that guy's a false prophet. <laughs> they didn't see this happening. You talked about blessing, and I, I no. You know, the collections agencies call you more than your mother. You know, you're more, more issues than you ever had before. You thought you had, you know, some issues. Now, now you realize you have a lot of issues. And it's like, what, what is it that's happening in that process? Well, see, when, when God speaks, you begin to be part of a process where God forms you to be the kind of person that can walk and carry the very thing that he's spoken over your life. So I hear sometimes people say, like, yeah, you know, God called me to be a prophet to the nations. and I'm like, all right. Yeah, exactly. Good luck. Good, good blessings. Because you know. what that means is that everything will be unleashed in their life to form the character and the faith that is needed to be the kind of person that God has called them to be. And without a Goliath, there is no king. It's not just David. It's, it's king. It's what, what actually catapults him. It's what gives him influence in the nation. Right? Before that, he's just a shepherd boy. You just look down like, They just look down on him. He's just a little kid. What does he know? But after that, they begin to realize, oh, no, no. There's something about this David, right? There, there's something about him that, that, just, that, that just comes to the surface and his influence increases and God is able to use that in one of the greatest kings that Israel had. It wasn't the most perfect king, but one of the greatest kings. See, this, this is the thing you have to understand. When you have giants in your life, it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's not that you're even in the wrong place at the wrong time. Is that God is simply training you, teaching you how to worship? He's training you and teaching you how to develop a perspective where you see him more clearly. He's he's training your faith because it's he can't have somebody that just has head knowledge and has been to all the conferences and read all the books and and all that kind of thing. But then when it comes to real life issues, they can't handle it. And they quit. And they become more intimidated by what the enemy can do than who God is in them. And, and this is the thing. I love how David responds to him because he doesn't go in his own strength. You realize that we're never called to face the enemy in our own strength, right? In, in Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his, his might. Put on whose armor? armor. Uh, his armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the, de- the, the devil. It's, it's not even in our own strength. It's not even in our own armor. And at times, actually, here's just a little tip. When you're in the middle of battle and you feel like you're getting worn out and worn down, it's good to remind yourself that it's not in that. So you know, you know how you do that? It's called just simply worship. You just begin to go, Lord, I just thank you, Jesus. You reign in this place. You are king. And you just begin to just worship him. And you begin to renew that strength that's found in him. And so David comes and he says in verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17, he says, you come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So everything that Goliath has done is not just against Israel as a people. It's against the God of Israel. That's what gets David so upset. That's what makes him angry. It's not this national pride. It has to do with who their God is like, how dare he speak about God that way? And so then he prophesies. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, because that's what we're defying here. We're trying to say, is God really real? Is, my God's bigger than your God, more stronger? And, and, um, and verse 47, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And notice that he says he's the one going there, but he says it's our hand. It's a collective thing. He goes representing Israel. And so he prophesies and we know that because he doesn't have a sword. Goliath says, I'm going to cut you your head off. I'm going to feed you to the birds. He's like, I'm going to cut your head off. And he's like, where's Where's your sword? I'll, I'll use your sword. And, and, and the enemy, I mean, the, the author here is alluding to that prophetic word in Genesis 3.15, right? Of uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. She, he shall bruise your heel uh, and you shall bruise his head. So he's cutting off the head of Goliath that has the armor like a snake. And we find that ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. You know, Jesus goes as a representative as Israel. In the 40, he did in 40 days what they couldn't do in 40 years. He goes as the final Adam is all humanity. What Adam could never do is finally fulfilled in him. You have this kind of language throughout the New Testament. And this is my point. My point is that his victory becomes our victory. The degree to the victory of the Lord Jesus is a degree to our own victory if we will believe and persevere. It's the same, it's the same victory as his. And, and, and Jesus is, is amazing because he, he loves to share. So, so when he strikes the heel of the, uh, or, or the head of the, of, the, of the snake, of the serpent, it's like he's like, hey, I, I want you to be a part of this too. And at times we have to go through the bruising of our own heel to crush the head of the snake. Does that make sense? You go through some tough times to be able to participate in his victory. And it's like, I want you, he goes, do do, do you feel that underneath your foot? Do you feel, see what it's like to have his head under your, I I want you to come and experience this because he could have just simply done it and that's it, but he, he wants us to participate in his life. I want you to just really, really think of this, because sometimes, even like in Chile, we, we deal with, with stuff, and, and sometimes you're like, oh, I, you know, there's witches, and there's this, and there's warlocks, and all this kind of stuff, and, and that's why there's all this stuff happening. I'm like, what is that in comparison to the power of the Holy Spirit? It just, I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're not even in, in the same category. They're, 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 they're so far apart. It just doesn't, why am I gonna be so much more impressed by what they can do? And there's stuff. I mean, there's stuff that we face, but why am I going to be more impressed with that than what I already have in the Holy Spirit? And see, if you and I are the body of Christ, which we, which we are, right? In case you didn't know that. Okay. And, and if we're his body, let me ask you something. Is there a part of the body of Jesus that is under the domain of Satan? Is there any part of him? Is there a toe that maybe the enemy has? The big toe maybe? Is there, is there anything? Okay, so then why are you and I, as the body of Christ, why do we ever think that the enemy could have or should have dominion over us? We think of areas, and we go, oh, that's a dark area. You don't want to go there. I'm like, you know what? I'm getting a map in Chile, and I'm going to go to exactly every single one of those areas. Oh, there's witches here. I'm like, okay, we're going to plant a church right there. Where where else? Where else are they? Oh, don't go there, because that's the graveyard. Okay, that's exactly where we're going to go. Why am I going to be intimidated by that? People say, "Well, you go higher level, higher demons." I'm sorry, they're all under our feet because I'm seated with Him in heavenly places, right? I just all—all all, all that the Lord is doing is just teaching me how to exercise His authority and dominion over the enemy and over the areas that oh, I thought, oh, I got this too. This also is under my feet. And he says here, come here, I want you to know what it feels like when addiction is under your foot. I want you to see what it looks like whenever you take territory that has been given over to the enemy. Come here, come here. Let's I want you to see that. Do you see when you twist it like that? You know, and you hear the skull of of the snake begin to crack under your foot. I want you to experience that because my victory is your victory. We have this thinking sometimes, oh, when we get to heaven, everything's gonna be okay. Heaven is here now. This is the moment where victory starts. Eternal life isn't when I die, it's when I know Jesus. It starts right now. It's in this moment. The power of the Holy Spirit isn't like, well, I'll wait till the millennial reign of Christ. No, 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 no. It starts right now. And it's according to my faith. If I think I'm gonna be subdued by the enemy, then guess what? That's exactly what your experience is gonna be. But if you understand who you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what he says and what he does. A hundred miles an hour wind. What what is that? What is that? What what is he going to do? What what else? Is that all you got? Is that it? Bring it. You will not tread on me. You will not step over me. I will not be under your heel. You will be under my heel. Don't tread on me. I don't care how dark things get. I don't, I don't care what it looks like. Why am I going to be more intimidated by him than, than what Christ has done and who he is? I mean, did he get that victory on the cross or not? I mean, Colossians, right? He disarmed. He stripped the enemy. He humiliated them before the eyes of the universe. And somehow, we're more impressed with the enemy than we are with him. We give him our worship so willingly. Oh, yeah, it's just horrible. Oh, yeah, there's, there's just nothing. There's no hope. There's all this stuff. God, where are you? Not understanding that he's just building us up on the inside to learn to tread on the enemy. And, I, and, I, and I, this, is, this is the question here now. How how do we do that? How do we enter in to the victory that Christ has had? And again, for this, I'm just going to go to the book of Revelation. I I think it's really interesting that in the book of Revelation, um, you find something that that Jesus never has a sword in his hand. It's never in his hand. Now, some pictures depict him like with this, you know, coming in, because it's actually coming out of his mouth. And so it looks a little weird. And so it's just easier for us to have it in his hand because it's just like, But like Revelation 1.16, you know, in his right hand, what he has are the stars, which are the seven messengers of the church. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. In Revelation 2, verse 12, it talks to the angel of Pergamum. He says, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Where's this two-edged sword? It's coming out of his mouth. In Revelation 19.15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. In Revelation 19, 21, the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. I mean, it's, it's never in his hand. It's always coming out of his mouth. So, so it's not just that he has the word in his heart. I mean, he is the word incarnate. It's not that it's just in his heart. It's what he's speaking The way that we enter in to this cutting of the head of our Goliaths, the cutting off uh, the snake's head is when we determine to speak only what he has said. When his word becomes our word. When what he has said is exactly what we say. It's when we give his word a greater place in our lives than even everything else. And look, I'm, I'm all for processing things. I think it's okay to be able to go and like, man, this is really horrible. I hate this. I don't like this. As long as we get to a, but God, and we get to what he's saying, right? In, in Romans chapter four, Abraham didn't waver in unbelief as he considered his body, that he was 100 years old. He was just about as dead. But he grew in his faith, giving glory to God. He grew in his faith. He was strong. So what is he doing? He's just simply saying, God, I have no idea how this is going to happen, but you're the one that gave me the word. You're the one that initiated this covenant with me. It's not like I was seeking, like, hey, I'd love to have a multitude of all these you know, nations or whatever. All I wanted was one son. That's all I wanted. And God's like, yeah, yeah, that's too, that's too small a thing because I want to bless you to be a blessing so that in you, all the nations will be blessed. And, and so what he does is he's elevating the word above even what he feels, even over what he says. And look, I know we have our senses and you go, yeah, but it feels this way and, and I see these things. That, that's fine, that's fine. You can say, okay, on one level, this is what I see. These are the facts of my situation. But what is the truth? What has God spoken over you? You know, when you get a prophetic word, what God is doing, it's not just to make you feel good and all that. Even though he does that, he builds you up and all that kind of thing. Yeah. He's teaching you how to speak to the situations that you're facing so that whenever you look at your finances and he says, I will bless you, you go, No, nope, I'm blessed. God, this is what you've spoken and you begin to speak to your situation. He's training you how to operate in the things of the spirit, how to release the power of the Holy Spirit. He's like, this is the sword. This is how you you use it yeah treasure it in your heart so that you don't sin against me yeah yeah but I want you to speak it I want you to release it when you begin to release the word well then you release the power that's the sword right there some of us just have it in our heart and we speak whatever we mimic we parrot whatever CNN is saying what other people say and the diagnosis that the doctor gave us okay that's fine that's fine okay one level great but what does he say what is it that he's saying What is it about his character that he's wanting to reveal at the moment that you're faced right now? And so he can come against you and release all the storms that he wants to release. It can be tornadoes and earthquakes and avalanches, whatever, whatever. At the end of the day, you will be remaining standing firm. You will be stronger and sharper because of it. Your worship will be sweeter than ever before. Your prayer will be more effective than it ever was before. Your faith will be sharper than it ever was before. And it's because you have this attitude. There has to be this. Holy violence in us. It says, "You will not tread on me." I don't care what you say. I don't care how big you are. I I don't. None of that. None of that moves me. What moves me is what He has spoken and who He is. Because let me tell you, the line is drawn, and the world is desperate to know one thing: Is our God really true? Is He really real? Is He true? Does He really exist? What is it that He's spoken over you? So th- this is what I believe here that, that, that th- three things, three things that, that we can do in response to this. It's just, number one is just, and I believe that this is exactly what the Lord is doing here in this church, is that he's taking us to a higher level of worship. There is something, you know that nobody else can worship like we worship. Angels can't worship like us because we've been redeemed. There's something about our worship that is unique and different and calls the attention and draws heaven near to us. And it's more than just simply religious songs. It's a gratefulness. You know, gratefulness is simply acknowledging what God has said is true. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. You're just saying, I thank you, Lord, that you're here. I thank you, Lord, that you're with me, that you've never left me, that you promise to always be with me. I thank you, Lord, that you, you guide me. I thank you that I'm filled with your spirit. You begin to just thank him. There's something about going through situations where if you learn to worship, it becomes even sweeter and more powerful than before. The alternative is murmuring and complaining. That releases something else. You don't want to release that. You want to release heaven in your situation. The second thing is that it's, it's a deeper level of prayer where there's a deeper expression of faith that gets released. Because you know that you know, and you're not intimidated by what the enemy can say or try to do. It just doesn't even matter. It just doesn't matter. Right, right, I mean, because they overcame by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and what's the third thing? It's three things. Not loving their lives unto death. It's this attitude that says, I don't care the price I've got to pay. If I die here, then I die, but I'm not taking steps back. I love it because my grandfather used to say, uh, we are not of those who retreat. That's not who we are. We are not of those who retreat. And even in the face of whatever, like things are just crazy and topsy-turvy. But one of the determinations that my wife and I made early on, even with all this stuff happening, we experienced COVID in a different way in Chile, and pandemic in a different way. There's violence and looting that was going on. I mean, there's was uh, one Sunday we're going... Uh, to church and they're like, oh, there's gonna be a, a communist like demonstration out there and it gets super violent. So we we should cancel church. I'm like, no, we're we're not canceling. Well, what if they attack us? Well, then I guess we'll witness to them. I don't know. I mean we'll pray, we'll figure it out. You know, I'm like this but we're not we're not we're not we're not taking steps, but we're not gonna be intimidated. See, if, if I take a step back at that, then the enemy's got me. He's found, he's found my line. He's found where I'm willing, how far I'm willing to go. And we just made that determination. We're, we're not stepping back. We just aren't. It just, it just isn't going to happen. I, I don't care what happens. You want to take me to jail? Take me to jail. I mean, I, I don't care. I don't care. It just, it just doesn't matter. That's where faith really gets, be, gets released. We tend to pray, okay, Lord, do that, but don't, I don't want it to cost me something. And if it makes me uncomfortable, oh, I don't, you know. Let somebody else pay the price for that, but not not me. We, we, we at times, can be more concerned with our own comfort than even with the character that the Holy Spirit's trying to develop in us. And it calls us to a deeper level of prayer and communion like we've never had before. There is a sweetness to his presence that you begin to enjoy that you never enjoyed before. I mean, it's it's there, but it's like you couldn't perceive it, you know? You know, that's what I feel like over you, Wally. I had this, this picture earlier today, and it's just been with me of uh, It's like Samson going to the carcass of the lion and finding honey. God coming to those places that seem dead, and even places where you've had a victory. but there's sometimes it's uh, bittersweet because of the price that you've had to pay at times. And God saying, "I'm giving you honey in from those places." In fact, the, the real word I heard, and I don't even know if it's a thing. I, I think I read it in a translation, but the quintessence of honey. I mean, the best of the best of honey. There's a sweetness that's coming to your life. You've been faithful. You have been faithful. You have been faithful. And even in victories, there's times where just the victory you, that you've had, it can kind of remind you of the price that you had to pay and it can have a little bit of a sting. And God's like, I'm taking that sting out and I'm giving you Honey. I'm giving you honey. So we just release that even now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And the final thing here is just making a commitment that we will only speak what he says. If I'm going to parrot something, if I'm going to be an echo to something, I want it to be his words. I want it to be what he is saying and declaring. And, And look, in the face of everything else, we speak to those things that are not as though they were. That means that at times when we start out, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like much. In fact, I, I've been in the presbytery. I've seen like Pastor Josh praying over our people. And at times I'm listening and Pastor Daniel and others and David Fang and, and, the, and, the, uh, um, and Dr. Gannon and his wife. And, and there's been times where I'm listening and I'm like, man, they really missed it. Because if they knew who these people were and what's going on, they wouldn't say that. And there's been times where I'm like, God, how is it that you know, man, they're kind of missing it here because I know what's happening in their lives and they're saying something completely different and God's like, "Uh, hello, that's how I work. I got to start somewhere. Right, God looks at the chaos and disorder and speaks order in the midst of it. We, We look at it and we go, man, what a mess. Look how dark it is. He comes and he speaks light and he begins to put order into things. So you gotta start somewhere. And at times you're gonna feel like even a hypocrite speaking it because you're like, I don't see this. And it just, you know, I mean, come on. But what he's doing is that he's teaching you to wield the sword. He's like, I want you to participate in this victory and cut off the head head of the snake. And this is what we're gonna do. I want you to learn how to use that sword that I've given you and to speak only what I've spoken because you're going to enter into my victory. It's this attitude that says, don't don't tread on me. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to King's Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you.